Hi everyone, welcome back to the third episode of the Blueprint Podcast. Today I'm joined by Jack Harper, founder of one of my favorite brands at the moment, Eliza. Jack spent two years designing under Samuel Ross for a cold wall before starting his own project. He's now created several successful events for the brand and has really started to build a cult following for Eliza. Fresh off a Paris showroom during Paris Fashion Week, we talk about Jack's background, his experience with creating and running unique and engaging events, the step from e-commerce to wholesale, how he's built creative systems to work in his purpose and meaning to all of his work. We talk about the psychological element that goes into sustainability that isn't really spoken about much, his creative and business advice to people earlier on in their journey and so much more packed into this. This was genuinely one of the most insightful conversations I've ever had and I'm sure you'll all think the same. Before we start to, for all my listeners, I'm currently doing 20% off my products at rvgd.co.uk using the code BLUEPRINT in all caps. I won't take any sponsors or ads on these podcasts and just use the revenue from sales to fund providing these for you. So all support is greatly appreciated. Let's get this started. So yeah, background, obviously we spoke about that quickly off um, off camera, but what was your background leading up to the launch uh, of your own project? I'll try and keep it like smooth and simple. Um, so I'm from I'm from Brixton, uh, born and raised in Brixton. Um, and then I lived here until I was eight. And then me and my mum moved to Brighton. Um, so I lived there between the ages of eight and 16, uh, which is a very like contrasting experience to the London mentality of the London living. and. Uh, then I got a scholarship at a place called Brit School, which is in Croydon, which is South London. And my, like, by a, a fantastic coincidence, my dad lived not too far around there. And so I moved to my dad's for two years. And then I got into university in Chelsea, studied um, graphic design communication. And I was living at that point between like, these areas, um, Camberwell, Peckham, Newcross, which is all like Southeast yeah. London. And, um, Ever since, really, I've kind of maintained living around these areas. I'm a very hardcore South Londoner. Uh, like, I will not move north of the river in any way, shape, or form ever. And yeah, <laughs> sure. So, like, had you had you always had like an interest in graphic design and fashion, or did that kind of come about later on? Um, it's kind of inter- It's kind of interesting. Like Brighton has a Brighton has a incredible like skate culture. Um, mm-hmm. like. It's, it's streetwear, but it's a different kind of, I guess like the, the streetwear that people from Brighton used to consume is like very like similar to, I guess, you know, on a very like micro level, um, similar to the kind of consumption from like LA, you know, compared to oh, like sure. New York. Like it wasn't very like New York street, it was very LA street. So mm-hmm. brands like the hundreds, Staple, they used to be um, a size there and a few, um, few skate shops like there was one in particular called Route one where they used to sell like enjoy um there was a brand called train spotting which was fun. oh i love bro i used to love that brand yeah yeah with the the spot, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and the palm trees yeah they're one I of the big to... reasons i got into streetwear actually yeah, yeah for me it was the same thing like they used to they did this like i'm not sure if it was a, an official club or not but i was a massive keith herring fan when i was younger and they like did a kind of flip on one of his paintings but just using like train spot colors and it was just it was fucking incredible um yeah and i kind of yeah like I, I, like in school as well like i think the the general uniform was well we 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 weren't like a blazer type school it was a crew neck polo top trousers mm. shoes but like no war shoes everyone used to wear vans classics and then <laughs> everyone would have like an America apparel hoodie and an East Power bag. And like, it was oh, just yeah. about like what colors people get different years. Like, I think like I brought, I brought in like the stupid introduction of like changing the, 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 the shoelace on the hoodie. So I had like a purple hoodie with like a luminous orange. <laughs> but um, no, it was cool. <laughs> like, it, 
it, I really like the cult. I really liked the culture down there just because it's like very free and it was like more or less about experimenting and just no one was really like as judging of it. Um, like what you would wear in Brighton would kind of get perceived to be like hipster in London, which is like a suit, which is interesting. But that's, you know, like a, I guess that's what comes with style is the environment that you're wearing, your clothes in, you know. Um, like where so, I'm yeah. from, like like the uniform was just like Sports Direct Night Track suits. If you want anything nice. different, like so when I, I started getting into brands like Half and like or HUF, I don't know how, how it is, and like and like Trainer Spotter, like I was into quite a lot. Of, I mean, I, I didn't skate, but I loved the brands. Yeah, and people used yeah. to just say it was so weird, like because I, w- I wasn't rocking like again like an Adidas Superstar tracksuit back in the day, you know. Yeah, it, it actually reminds me. I've never said this out loud before, and it, you just like resurfaced them everywhere. Like I. I bought, I bought, I actually bought some Huff socks, like, years, I was a massive fan of, like, Huff and, Be- like, I was really into Benny Gold, who used to work there, and then he kind of did off his home stuff, and then staple design with the pigeon, which I was super mm. into, but I remember, like, this shop used to have all of it, and for whatever reason, because a few people had it, I was like, oh, I'm gonna <laughs> buy the Huff socks, which had, like, the weed, like, yeah, weed, the weed on. ones, yeah, <laughs> like, I've, I've never, I've never smoked weed, ever, I think I was, like, <laughs> I feel I smoked half of once in my life, like in the in like the fucking Sahara Desert, like a year ago. But oh man, I, I was never into it. And then like I went into school one time, and I got so much shit for it because it was like because <laughs> I had like an average reputation for like not being into that stuff. And yeah, um, yeah, all my friends absolutely drilled me. And t- trust me, I never wore them again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so it was mainly like the sort of skate culture then, like in terms of in terms of like the fashion scene when you're growing up then. Yeah, yeah, and I think, like, back then, the kind of clothes was way more, like, graphic influence. Like, for me, a massive draw towards, like, those streetwear brands was the graphic application on them. So, when I was younger, I, I used to, like, be more into fine art, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. but but very entry-level pop art. Like, I was an Andy Warhol fan, mm. Keith Haring fan, a Basquiat fan, mm. a Salvador Dali fan. But uh, it's because I was the only creative in my family ever. So, like, my 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 mum's, like, entry point into the arts was very, you know, like, what was pop- popular or popularity. Yeah, um, but, yeah, and then I, I kind of just got really, like, fascinated into the illustration side of it all. And so I kind of, like, pursued, like, heavily drawing. Um, but I guess, like, that definitely, like, changed over a certain period of time, I guess. Um, I couldn't really tell you what the turning point was. But maybe like I, I remember like I did you know how you get to select your GC like your selected GCSEs. Yeah. I did um I did music, art, fine art. But yeah, like I was really like drawn by the illustration style of brands like the hundreds in particular. Like the the grenade from the grenade from train spotting was probably like one of my favorite designs ever. Mm. Um and actually like a big entry point for me going into like graphic design as like a GCSE course was um the Hope poster by Shepard Fairley. Like the red and blue one? Yeah, that that's yeah. the exact one. That's the exact yeah, yeah. one. And like, I remember there was like a fair in our school, like showing like all the stuff you could do for GCSE. And there was like something that drew me so hard to that poster. And like, I I did really understand why that was like within the category of like graphic design rather than art. But I guess like there was a, a pop art twist to that. And I know like Shepard Fairey with Obey, it was just... Mm. Uh, it just kind of made sense for me to like go down that direction um as well as the fine art direction and yeah it kind of just took from there really and um i took a real love for you know like pursuing graphics in that sense like i remember um 
when I was at school, I used to sell t-shirts. Um, and I guess that's loosely where I got into clothing was because there was a skate scene there and I used to be shit at skating, <laughs> I'd have to like contribute culturally differently. And sure. um, my friend like had an idea of a brand called Logic and because they were both lazy as fuck, I knew they wouldn't do it. So I ended up doing it and I ended up selling the stuff and like just coming up with designs. And to be honest, they were trash like, I'd get like Primark t-shirts and then like cut um, cut the graphics out using heat heat transfer vinyl. <laughs> printing yeah, that's how I started too. Yeah, man. Um, but I kind of, I guess like the, the selling side of things I was always into, like I was that kid that used to sell like Coke cans and the fucking Kit Kats from, and like flipping it because behind yeah. our secondary school was the Sainsbury's. So there was like all these like, like nuances in the, and these like micro experiences like contributed. So I guess like, okay, I might have the confidence to sell my own work and mm-hmm. clothing is what I'm into. The culture of it is what I'm into. Um, and yeah, just, I, I, I definitely think like when I look back, Brighton is what heavily influenced me to like go into this direction. But yeah, I, I would say that's pretty much. Oh, that's super interesting, man. So, so you finished, so you did your degree yeah, uh, in graphic design communication. What was next after that? Did you have a grad job or did you just uh, so, freelance? Yeah, so I... It's quite funny, like my course really pushed people to do advertising and creative agency work. And it just really wasn't something that I ever wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. I would have went, I maybe would have like considered going into branding. Like I, I, I still to this day think like branding is like a very like strong point of mine. Um, and it's something that I very like deeply love, but I never enjoyed the aspect of people that had no education in branding telling me what's right or wrong it kind of yeah. defeated the purpose of me even fucking doing it so um yeah i kind of after that, i just like waited out a little bit so i ended up working in like a pub for about five months um <laughs> so for surfing as well like it was it was, a, it was a bit of a nightmare time and it was quite degrading because all my friends had like salary jobs and i was i was like so broke but I was doing a lot like I was spending all my money on like a photography film like photography was something I was so in on and I still work on like I do most of the photo shoots that Eliza run. Oh wow okay I didn't know that. Yeah I shoot I I shoot 90% of it. Um, so was that something that you just learned like yourself or did you do any education on that too? Well I, I guess like the cool thing about our course was that like people have this idea that like graphic design is this you know you're like on your computer, tap, tap, tap. Whereas graphic design is just more about like, the key word to our course was communication. So it was about like understanding the message that you're putting across. And obviously most people that go into advertising, there's the fields of art direction, direction, assistant director, et cetera, et cetera. We kind of like got told of that. And um, I think for me, like photography was just something that I latched onto socially speaking. Like I remember I used to go to a lot of music events and yeah i was a designer but it's really hard to like show that socially whereas like having mm-hmm. a camera was like a great entry point to meet people because people would always demand photos and stuff and i definitely enjoy, i like like for me like a, a camera was an extension to my curiosity and so i used to shoot because i was curious about the cultural scene that i was in the mm-hmm. people the personalities and I guess like through that you just like go through trial and error and like figure figuring out like a language and i guess for me like graphic design is very analytical and so i i kind of like started chiseling down like my technique with photography um but yeah i guess so like put that aside 
I got an internship at my friend. My friend was at like a small agency and I like did an internship there for a month and it kind of like got me back into everything after working at a pub, which is a bit shit. Um, and then I actually, I saw a cold wall posted up a job on um, socials and but it was a bit annoying because it was like CSM students only and oh, like really? CSM graduates and I... It was annoying because because it was UAL. I was like, okay, like they must make exceptions to this. It yeah, was a graphic, surely. A graphic design and art direction assistant role, and I was. Uh, it was funny. Like I'm, I, I still to this day have like a massive love hate with fashion as a whole. Um, like for me, it's like a vessel rather than an endpoint. Like I'm not. I don't really like live the the fashion lifestyle as you would say. Um, sure. But a cold will really like resonated with me at a very like you, I, I, I probably found them out in like 2016 um, I've always been a huge fan of Samuel Ross and his work like, yeah I was so yeah. like for me I found them out because I was a massive fan of Reggie Snow and as, a, as an artist and then I saw Reggie Snow walk down the runway and so I kind oh, okay. of like tapped into the whole thing from there and it just resonated with me because of the whole like working class narrative mm. and like the, the use of materials that they applied on like it was something that I like never thought of before and um like Sam, Samuel's actually from Brixton before he moved to Northampton. I am as well. Like there was a lot of relatability there. Like I'm from a council estate in Brixton. Uh, I come from like pretty much like very not much um, mm. with a lot of baggage to come with it. But <laughs> it, you, you know, like it was nice. To, it was nice to see it for me. Like a Cold War was like the one brand that like made sense. If if it was like something that I'd ever pursue like further. And like, yeah, I luckily, um, I was very lucky to get the job. Like I basically emailed um, his PA, can you make an exception? Had like a, a kind of half portfolio. I had to like stay up all night and make it. And then I went to CSM. I couldn't, they put up barriers at this point, so I couldn't get in. So I just waited outside and um, I was the last person they interviewed. And I think, yeah, they just, I, I, I don't feel I had the best portfolio, but I certainly had like the most understanding one. Like I had like two music videos of like Lancey Foe at the time. And oh, sick. That. Yeah, yeah. Like I did, I, I tapped, like I was involved in like the scene that they were in, um, yeah. which, you know, I guess is a big part of it is like a massive part of it is understanding, you know, like your audience. And I was mm. involved, you know, like I was a fan of it. And, but I was, I'm very like about the work and, I'm ready to like put my head down and not fanboy and yeah I I, I had that job for two years luckily um, which was really you enjoy it uh, yeah it was like it was a really difficult experience you know like there was definitely like a hundred hour weeks involved and oh it's a lot of pressure yeah yeah like I was I was young and like I'm not I'm not gonna say like I, I you know I'm, I wouldn't say I'm as such now but I was very sensitive and mm-hmm. uh, I had to learn a lot to get it right like i was i didn't even understand how to like send um like print files to a screen printers to print t-shirts like it was how inexperienced i was in that era but sam like samuel was very um like i joined when it was only like five or six of us so it was very you know like everyone was like very much together yeah, yeah. at a given point and i was like very blessed to have like a, a direct like mentorship with sam before like things got um like big the way it did and yeah it taught me a lot and i'm very like grateful that he was extremely patient with me because sometimes I would be probably like a bit too stiff. Um, I would question things a lot. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate of what I do, so that can come mm-hmm. heat. You know, like I'm a bit of a short fuse. Um, but yeah, I was very like I never wanted to let him nor like any of the team down 
like I really cared about it and um I would like to hope that show through the work that I did so I hope they share the same yeah thing. well no I'm, I'm sure it does like that's one of those things where like I've always found you can tell like if you're looking at a piece a certain piece whether it's a graphic design or, or a garment you can yeah. tell if there's passion in it like yeah the amount sure. you sift through you can really tell um but what it seems like to me, just as like an interest, like it seems from what you've been saying about kind of your upbringing and lead into creativity, it seems you're someone that's like really into sort of very blatantly wearing your creativity as a part of you. Like a lot of people are quite shy about it, but you're saying like having the camera with you as a symbol to show that you're creative, wanting to print t-shirts. Would you say that's kind of led you to doing your own project as well or? So to be honest with you, the reason I came up with this project was actually because it was part of my dissertation at university. Okay. Um, for for a long time, like I actually look back at like I I used to do a lot of like spray painting and I used to like in Peckham where I used to live at this point, um, there would always be like IKEA flat packs everywhere, you know, like spare bits of plywood etc. And I used to take them home and drill like drill holes in the corners and then paint on them and then tie them up in the street and just see what happens to them. And the, but, the, but like my subject matter was always people. Like it was really interesting. Like when I used to, tr when I used to see like a lot of peers who were extremely creative and, and I admire them so much. Um, I, they always like pick really like intriguing subject matters beyond people. Like, uh, you know, like even Sam included, like Sa Sam as a designer was in my opinion, very like into brutalism, for example. Mm. But for me, I, I, I when, you know, and for me, like when it comes to the acts of service, I can I can design in that style. But when it comes to designing for myself, it's not really uh, a style that like or communication form that resonates with me. But what has always resonated with me is just like the fascination of people. Um, sure. So I used to always draw like faces, like emo like the equivalent to emojis, and I just <laughs> kind of used to like reflect whatever my mood was, and then just plaster that up on the street and you know the fact that it went from that to then this which is extremely about individualism mm. um is definitely not a coincidence i guess um and i i guess like the curiosity is just still there but the format and the vessel is just a little bit different and i find um fashion such an exciting format to pursue an idea for many reasons which like has been proven by you know predecessors and Mm. You know, like Sam for me being like a personal leading example, and then externally like Bird or uh, you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've done, yeah, I thought I just thought it was a suitable place, and also I see like right now like a gap which I think I have a personal interest in, um, mm. and it gives me a reason to pursue it. You know, because I do want to pay rent at the end of the month. You know? yeah. um, um, so kind of following on on that, like it's a, it's a question that a lot of people ask me when they're asking about branding and stuff, but I think you'd you'd have a good answer for this. Cool. How important do you think storytelling is when it comes to fashion in the current scene? Like aside from just the graphics, it's it. It's an in so it's an interesting one. I think it is extremely important. I think you can't really run a brand without storytelling. Actually, that's not true. You can run a brand without storytelling, but then it affects like certain other aspects, like price point and stuff. You know, mm -hmm. uh, so like bluntly speaking, like Primark doesn't exactly have like a storytelling narrative to their products. Um, neither does many others but then when it's like the culture like the culturally involved brands um of like any any like price point whether it's like a cortez a cold war etc mm -hmm. yeah storytelling is extremely important 
But like for me, what th th this is like one gap that I saw was that I felt like fashion doesn't tap into nonfiction enough. So like for me, from like a personal standpoint, um, I've never really been into fiction. I don't think I ever will be. I'm into films. So like mm -hmm. the, the, the fiction that I get from from a sense of inspiration is definitely like filmmaking. But when it comes to books, like, I've probably already read like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> but then, but then when it comes to nonfiction, for me, it's really fascinating because it's it's very much in the real world and it does matter and you can apply to it like there's definitely like a logic applied to it um because i think storytelling can lead to a sense of escapism and i think in the time that we're in people's mental health are way more fickle than they were mm -hmm. tolerance is lower and that's mm -hmm. not to say it's bad it's just like that is just the point we're in. yeah i've been through i've been to therapy i've been i've had medical health episodes in the past like we all have um mm. it's very much normal um but i kind of didn't like the fact that storytelling would not i don't think story like storytelling based brands would like fully solve the problem um to those that are actually interested in fashion where for me like i see um fashion could be like a great place to like educate in the more non-fiction format so i completely agree yeah so as so like i guess like it, when when i looked back at me being a photographer i was never interested as a photographer like making like sets or making real worlds it was very much about documenting the real world mm -hmm. and so i kind of like to have that same idea alongside fashion no that's the i i think yeah that's exactly i think why i've been so drawn to your work because that's always been my approach with anything that i'm designing or making i've always wanted to incorporate like some sort of meaning and value to the product like yeah. that transcends just the fabrics it's used on but i don't like creating fictional worlds all this kind of stuff i like like my last few pieces i've done i've kind of it's been a kind of commentary on the scape of ai right now and like how sure. you know that that kind of thing but before that my first full piece of work was about um identity and how identity is explored in people um right through from like biological to socio-cultural ways yeah um, and that was interesting i mean i didn't really hit the storytelling element that well but yeah but it's not yeah but you, you you probably did way more than you you probably did better than you thought you did it's just like you kind of find with fashion and it's in the same way with music like you can't condense like a whole idea into one song you know you've got to build mm -hmm. an album you've got to live like um and it's the same thing with like fashion and the collection like there's there's only like so much you can compress into a hoodie but of course. you but you can you can communicate the idea through many other mediums such as like i i find it really refreshing how you just like say things as it is and very like direct um which i, I think i remember seeing a video of you explaining how you know you probably don't you get a lot of love for it but you probably get a lot of hate for it because it doesn't like conform to like the norm but mm -hmm. you know that's always going to be the case and that's how it should be great. Like for me, like I, I, for me, like I was highly interested in your work because of the way you put it across, which was like very new to me and very direct. And I think it's very taste, it's tasteful in like the sense of context, you know, um, something that I don't, yeah, thank you. like I've managed to hit a home run on yet, but I'm trying to figure out. Well, it was a very trial and error for me because I'd always, I've always probably spoken too much for my own good. Um, and I've always been very like, again, another reason I've been interested in what you're doing, I've always been a very curious person. I've always wanted to know more about things. And it kind of led to the point where I was just making TikTok content because I was skint and had run out of marketing budget and just started talking, just literally just saying what I was doing is black and white. And yeah. then people started to like it. So I just 
refined it, refined it, refined it, refined it. And now I've got a level with content and communication now where I can get a point across very quickly. Um, yeah. There's still gaps in that. There's still like things I, you know, I wish I put more time into. But it's been a decent medium so far in terms yeah, of well, awareness. Yeah, well, there forever will be gaps. And when you fill them, new gaps will appear. And that's kind of like the fascination with what we do really is that we're always trying to like figure out like ways to communicate new ideas and in in different times that we're in you know like a big a big realization for me was how much i've had to like i really like for me like the what i envisioned the brand to be before i even designed like my first garment was very different to like what it looks like now but i think what check what where like what separates people is are you ready to embrace that change or mm-hmm. are you going to be really stubborn and stay in that place and don't get me wrong like that can work for some people but i would say 99 percent of the time it doesn't and you do no, it's, re- it's mad you've just said that actually because um i haven't publicly said this anywhere yet um Lovely, but i'm taking a bit of a hiatus with product releases now um because what i found myself doing was so i launched the brand when i was 17 i'm 21 okay. now and i've always like i started it with a very clear long-term vision but now I've come to realize that now I've grown up a bit, my, my style's matured, my ability to design is far better than it was then. I don't really like the vision that I started with. Uh, and I felt myself trying to keep building things that fit into that first vision. Sure. That I feel like I'm shortchanging myself and my customers at this point, just trying to keep up with an old vision. So that's why I'm going to be doing a lot more podcasts now and a lot more education. You know, Now that I've finished uni, that's all I'm going to be doing is speaking to people that I'm inspired by uh, learning as much as I can and then come back early 2024 with a much fresh new vision that's you shouldn't even put a timeline on it just do it when you feel like it's right you know um, mm-hmm. you don't know how you don't know how you're going to feel tomorrow let alone today so it's very true to, to put yourself that goal is just kind of you, you're going to put pressure on yourself I think you should just do it when it feels right because sure. life can life and things do change and you know, you might actually do the podcast more and get into that and end up wanting to grow it and keep it going. And I think like, you know, that's important. Like, I'm very grateful to be on this right now because there isn't a lot of people that provide a platform um, where I think there should be like a really great balance between, you know, like designers and podcasters and so on and so forth. But yeah, you'll always be able to like tap in and out whenever you want. But I just don't think you have to like confide it to a brand name as such like you are yourself as an individual a brand of some sort so you could do it under your own name loosely without it confining you you know like there is really like the greatest thing about what we do is is that that there is no deadline there is no rule book and like i i always find it funny when like musicians that i know like set deadlines because it's like who the fuck are you like who's telling you this deadline yeah like, yeah yeah like like we're not doctors we are we are very privilegedly creatives and you know we 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 got we can we can embrace that freedom i think it's just the first time in my life with no deadlines now that i finish uni it's like wait i've got to have this done then this done then but actually you're right like now because i have i have other stuff on the side i do freelance graphic work for a lot of other brands and that's i'm not really allowed to name names because it's It's fine same same this is how um, yeah exactly that's how i keep keep the uh keep the bills paid um and i do like consultancy and stuff too but i do like spend half my time doing freelance for like other brands mm-hmm. whether it's like consulting garment designing yeah 
So is, but, is it fashion again? This is this. Is it like fashion um, freelance you do, or do you do like other other mediums like branding I've, and? I've done like I've done photography jobs. Like I I, I did one re- recently that I'm really proud of, which I'm actually going to post like like next week. Um, nice. Uh, yeah, I've done I've, I've done a range of free lot like. Uh, freelance photography jobs but they're like i kind of keep photography more on a project basis where i do freelance for currently i have two retainers with two brands um which like range between like graphic designing to consulting to garment design uh to art direction like mm-hmm. this is the great thing about graphic design for me it was that graphic design has always been this umbrella that you know you can tap into so many things and that that's kind of the way that i see it like i just kind of see everything as this like seamless synonymous mm. uh well it's raining really hard and you close the window quickly <laughs> when you come to release and design new products do you approach it from designing a full collection in one go or is it per piece like what's your approach with um, new pieces so i kind of look at it in two ways so Firstly, I've, I've always wanted Eliza to go into like wholesale. Like I do want it to be mm. in stores and I've always wanted it to be in stores. Um, the big reason for that is because because of the quality of my stuff and where I make it, it ultimately is going to be higher priced. And so therefore, D2C will never be its like greatest facet because it, it goes beyond like the price of it being impulsive, you know? Mm. So like for, for, for us, like a... The cheapest graphic t-shirt that we do is 55 pounds which mm-hmm. you know not a lot of, like not the everyday person will want to like spend that and not know that it will be a hundred percent i i respect that and i understand it but when it comes to like in stores like people will buy that you know and mm-hmm. yeah wholesale is a very important side that we are currently aggressively pushing on like we've just come back from paris um, so yeah, like so. So with, with that being said, you basically have like a, a spine. So imagine your like wholesale collection being like the spine, and then what we do is we then kind of use all the pieces from that collection and like figure out incrementally when to release them D to C throughout the year. And so in like the collection, there's there's this like crew. So this crew neck jumper was never in the collection that we've just done. But the, the, the shape is, so like we had a, a crew neck with a monoblock chair and these two circles that that was digital after it moves. Um, but we, so that was like the spine. And then through e-commerce, we were able to be like, oh, let's do like a more like core version that would, you know, like suit D to C more like this. And then this would be econ, you know? And so yeah, yeah. you can kind of, you can kind of bounce off there. Like I, I like to stick to the wholesale collection as a as a kind of you know like a consistency thing to go through the year but there's always like room to like tweak things and change things um that would be exclusive to d to c um but it doesn't stop to be honest with you like it doesn't i, I don't i don't stop myself from like impulsively designing stuff from time to time like i can't really say what but we've got like a couple collaborations in the next like six months um which are like quite impulsive and have nothing to do with wholesale um but yeah mainly like i just uh, i don't really have like a massive itch to like design a new piece every second um yeah of course because there's so much of the business side that you have to do that like five percent of it's fucking designing ideas yeah uh, yeah but but yeah like i mean uh, yeah yeah that, I, I guess that's the best way for me to answer it at this point 
so that leads me quite well on to the next question I was going to ask. Because something that I've done a lot of myself and I've always found them to be really successful is in-person events and like showrooms and stuff like that. I've not done a showroom yet. But for you, how have you found doing more in real life sort of base stuff so people can actually see and feel the, the products? Yeah, I, I mean, I probably couldn't do what I do without doing that stuff because for me, there's a real gratitude that comes with it, you know? It's like... Mm-hmm. What's the difference between 100 likes on the post versus 100 people in the room saying they like all stuff? It's just, yeah. you feel you feel the weight of people more in, in person. Um, and, well, for, for us, like, we, we've we done a few things. Like, my business partner, Nosa, is, like, an amazing DJ, and he's got a lot of experience in doing events. I've had experience through, like, ACW doing installations and that side. So we kind of have, like, come together in you know making you know like making eliza centric events happen in london which has been amazing and it's just a real good excuse to get people together and do something i, I don't like to be oh, oh, like yeah we you know we do it differently like we all say it but you know do something that makes people feel something that they can resonate with beyond the evening you know um so like what's what's the uh what's the approach then when you're designing a an event or a space what's like a where'd you start with that Okay, so from like a branding standpoint, you know, I very much live what the brand is about um, because it's ethos is the same. Like we're we're a brand that's very like ethos driven. Um, like I'm not selling a lifestyle. Like I'm just selling like a mindset approach and a belief system, I guess. Sure. And Nosa follows the same thing. And so I guess like firstly, we kind of look at that and then we then think about, okay, like what do we want people to see and experience? And, you know, we just kind of creatively like build something from those, from those ideas really. So, uh, I can tap into an example of one that we did, which I'm really proud of. Um, we did a event now it was actually our first event, which was like for us, the equivalent to a runway show. Like we can put way too much money into it, <laughs> like <laughs> and put way too much money into it. Like we, we basically, I had this like analogy about what, what is that? I'm personally trying to achieve within the realms of like fashion. And like sure. to me, a big part of it is about, I'm not here trying to like reinvent the t-shirt, but what I am trying to attempt is to invent or reinvent people's relationship with the t-shirt. So how can I make someone look at something differently? Um, so how can like someone look at this as like a disposable object versus it looking like a sentimental piece that will, that they will hold for a really long time? And we basically built this space um, in this like archway uh, in this space called Forever Good, and we we got felt and input LEDs into the felt, which kind of resembled like a starry night into the sky. Yeah, sick. It was the the whole event was analog. There was no digital screens involved. Um, we built the, these like decks out of like what you would use for storage. It was it was so fucking DIY. <laughs> but the main but the main thing about it was we we had these things called uh, diffraction glasses and diffraction glasses uh, when you put them on they just split light up. Um, so in the space there was only white light and smoke like the smoke machines and there was like mirrors that were already in the space oh, that sounds fucking sick it was like yeah it was it was really really beautiful and the space was great without the glasses but then when you put the glasses on the space changes and evolves completely without anything actually changing it's just your perception of it changes mm-hmm. um and what was really interesting was the response people had with it because people were like what 
like I remember my best one of my best friends Finch like he put them on and like his jaw dropped because he was explaining how like the only time he's ever seen an effect like this happen is through like his phone through like an Instagram filter yeah yeah so so to then like bring that experience only like into an analog item that only you can see and you can explain through your own eyes was really powerful to a lot of people um and it was unusual, you know. So when you came in, you got a, a instead of a stamp, you got glasses instead, and then you know you put them on, and it could it just completely evolved the space in a way that I've never really like seen before. Like I actually took inspiration from it from a um, Fat Boy Slim concert about eight about ten oh, years yeah. ago now, and they like dashed out glasses into um, the Amex Stadium where Brian plays, which yeah, was like. Yeah. He just dashed out all these glasses as a crowd and it was diffraction glasses but he you, you can get these um glasses that have your logo in them and that was just like an experience that really stuck with me for an extremely long time and um i managed to in whatever way be able to achieve the same thing bar the uh the the logo because it was just um yeah the the production cost of that would have been way too high <laughs> no that that does sound sick though yeah it's like that's something i would do in the future like there's an evolution there um that i'm certainly gonna pursue but yeah it was like a really beautiful experience and you know for, for some people it was a party and a turn up but then for some other people it was an installation and like a big part of the installation was just seeing how like people interacted in the space so like you yourself is a part of that mm. and the installation can't exist without the participant being inside and um that's something that I've always like liked to tap in on at all times when possible. Um, but you know, like but to be to be honest, like we haven't done that every time. Like there's a time that we did a party and it was just a straightforward party and it was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, like not everything has to like always be analytical uh, like that, but it can be based around like feeling. You know, I think um, articulate people like ourselves, which isn't a pretentious thing to say. Like we are, we 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 like we. We are people that enjoy reason a lot. And mm. sometimes it's nice to just like take a step back and feel something um, that cannot be explained. And that yeah. is also something that I like to deliver with Eliza in real life because that kind of is like a healthy juxtaposition between the way that we communicate on social media, which is pri- primarily the main point of contact with us until we get yeah. into retailers. Um, yeah so we've done that so so that so you definitely say like it's kind of a big part of the brand then if you like it's an important part oh the brand doesn't exist without it like let me we that's just like the given like i would say the most we've done two pop-ups we've done one showroom which we've just finished in paris uh which was great but it's very like b2b experience so it's amazing to do but it's not like a it's not like a marketing thing like it's very you're there to you know in the hope to get into retail but it's like very humbling to be in you know like the fashion capital showing your clothes off to people and we had such an amazing response from it and a big attraction towards us was the reason behind it all and the fact that the clothes are really good quality which you can never really portray on social media unfortunately there's a lot of bullshitters agreed yeah when when someone finds out that we don't bullshit it's amazing um, <laughs> hey man some something that i'd like really recommend any designer artist doing um if they have like the privilege of having a space um to host people in um is to do like open days um and, and i'll tell you like why i started this so we did a really successful pop-up last summer in london and it was brilliant but 
you know, I'm not going to lie. The economy is shit and we can't just be spending. This is the business me talking about. You can't just be like spending constant money, money, money in, mm-hmm. you know, opening a space in the hope to sell products. And I, I guess like for me, the conflicts with doing an op- uh, a pop-up again was because there wasn't like any real reason to, to create a new experience. And that comes with like the debate around like scarcity. Like I don't want to do it too often. Um, but an open day was a great idea because we had a bomber jacket that was selling for 300 pounds. And we had quite a lot of them, like too many in my opinion. Uh, but it was the minimum and it was worth the yeah. risk. And I just know that like, even I wouldn't buy that. Like I, when I say I wouldn't buy that, I wouldn't blindly buy a product that expensive without yeah. having to try it first. And so we built like an appointment system where we would have like four people maximum per hour for a day to come in and like try stuff. But the what was great about it was like, it wasn't just about the jackets, even though like the aim was to sell the jackets, but it was everything else. Like, we wasn't selling an experience. We were actually showing how it is. And yeah. that goes back to the whole documentary narrative that I was saying earlier. And we had like a lot of young people come through and just be like, oh, wow, this is like your process. This is how you achieve it. This is like where your stuff is, stu- stuff is stocked. This is the equipment you need to make this happen, you know? And, and it, in, in like some weird way, it was actually way more successful than a pop-up because pop-up you're selling a story and you're selling like a an experience but that experience only like lives where this is every day you know no i think that makes a lot of sense like people crave that authenticity these days and like and i think adding that personal attachment i can see why that was so popular yeah and but i think like a massive part of it as well which maybe i didn't realize until afterwards was like the biggest importance to that was the fact that we actually limited the amount of people that we could have in it at any given point because we knew that with, with the last pop-up that we did it was it was great but you can't like give everyone like the full breakdown of what's mm-hmm. going on because there are too many people and it's only so many hours a yeah. day whereas like we found that four people was perfect for two of us to go through everything explain anything if there's any questions like we can give them the time of day and that was like something that we do and i still care about and because we're still extremely small scale it's something that we can do and it really does like make a difference and we actually ended up selling all the jackets we don't we have one left but because we have to be keeping it for archiving reasons yeah. um but like it was funny like in real life they sold more than what they did online um and maybe it's because the people that would have bought online came here but still it it said a lot about like the irl experience um and so, like, I guess, like, what we do now is we try and do, like, an open day, like, once every two months. Or, like, once every... Like, we, you know, like, when... Like, right now, we've got a drop coming out on Friday. And, like, we could probably do an open day next week or when we, like, next get stocking. And um, it's good for... It's, it's good to, like, let people feel special. It's good to give people the time of day. Like, I feel a lot of gratitude in people even being interested in what I do. Um, let alone buying stuff. And so... <laughs> I'm I, I'm very mate. I'm so happy to just like talk talk my shit, and not only that, uh, just like connect with new people and get to know what they're getting up to, and like seeing like if if you know there's anything there where we could like work in the future. Like two of um, two of my interns, we met through the open dates, and they're great people. Oh and, wow! Like, okay. 
Yeah, and they were and they were really they had great attitudes and they were really good at what they did and to be taught them a lot and like we learned from them as well and it was um you know that's the beauty of having these things up is just like taking you know putting the phone down and having in real life experiences where you can like even though you know the restriction was was that we didn't have much money but we bought a studio so that let's just do something and um, it's nice like we just we just have all our like sketches like plastered on the wall and then we update our board with like maybe what we're doing next or like our lookbook and then we've got like a rail and sort of our like clothes and yeah like it's just good for people to come through and see what's going on You take in the information better. It's like, you know, when is the last time you cooked a recipe that you saw from TikTok? But then you get taught it in person and then you end up re you doing the same. Like, um, there's so much information on the internet that you don't actually take the information in. Um, and it's something that I really respect that like Cole and Johnny do is that they've, they've managed to like make a store in the most prominent point of Soho that space where like you can see the work it's like it's it's brilliant that they're like great people and they have really like great intentions with what they do and they're also fucking really good business people yeah i'm super inspired by what they do man it, yeah like... yeah so so you know like I, I i was personally very inspired by them and um and like it makes me want to have a store in the future you know um i'd love to have mm. that yeah um so what i'm really interested in i'm sure like a lot of my viewers or listeners or whatever are going to be interested in kind of understanding is so the showroom in Paris yeah kind of give us the breakdown of kind of like how that worked um like you know setting up and kind of getting people in how how did that did that work okay cool so uh I'll, I'll tell you kind of like we, we've been trying to get into stores since the very start but as we kind of realized is that people need to see it in person to mm. be able to give it a chance um since covid the budgets for retailers went down dramatically to bring on new brands and so therefore like the window for new brands to came on to come on was extremely more narrow so i'd argue that it's a very difficult time as a new brand to come in unless like you have a lot of like social currency or if you're like a celebrity so if you're a celebrity like jaden smith and decides to start up in brands, they're probably gonna get into retail way quick, much quicker because they guarantee a sell through um, yeah. by the retailer. You know, um, so we, we've, we, you know, like we're not in stores yet. It's definitely been like a frustrating process, um, but we were fortunately, we, 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 we know how, I guess through my experience, like I know how to do line sheets. I could understand the business end because I, when I was at a cold war, I used to go out to the showrooms and work there. And so I would mm -hmm. see and observe and how that would all work. So like whenever we've done collections or like capsules, we've always like sent a line sheet out to retailers, but we've always get like no reply, um, even though they look great. And yeah, we actually got uh, approached by an agency called Impossible Objects, which were based, they're based in London. Um, and they wanted to, long story short, have, a, have us as a, a guest in their showroom. Um, awesome. We, we were skeptical because we 
were actually going to have a showroom in Tokyo earlier in the year. So we actually shot the, so we recently released this collection, but we've had it shot and finished since February. But we oh, just wow, kind okay. of wanted to align it, um, align it like correctly with when we were going to like publicly show it. Mm -hmm. And the, the Tokyo, the Tokyo showroom fell through because the sales agent that wanted to take us out was having too much of a debate about like one, the expense of our stuff. And they were just being too flaky and it, they they liked the idea of having us on but they were just being like really annoying to follow through with and so we just were like this isn't going to work so yeah and and luckily these lot they came they saw us they didn't actually know we were doing a collection like they based their judgment off of like our monthly releases and they just wanted to see if we could take stuff out and we're like oh we're actually we've actually just finished the collection would you like to come and see it and um it's uh run by three of them Kira and josh and ezra and they came through and from my point of view that this this is not what like i don't know how they truly felt but it felt like they were positively surprised and they were very reassured by like the quality of our stuff you know mm -hmm. um and i guess like for the, there's such a like gorpcore scene in in the uk at the minute that there isn't really many conceptual brands like ourselves but you don't tend to get conceptual brands with good quality products at the same time. We kind mm -hmm. of like hit this like real nice in between where we have the avant-garde's the idea, but the the way it's presented is is one extremely digestible and mm -hmm. not pretentious, but also at very good quality, so it could last an extremely long time. Um, and yeah, they they just invited us. Uh, it costs basically if there's a okay, let, let's say you yourself are the agency. You rent out a space in Paris and you'll have a client list that these clients will be will want to come through and see. Um, and what we pay is the contri uh, the contribution costs into paying for the space to be rented because there's no guarantee that anything can happen. And so we pay a couple thousand pounds to, you know, contribute into being in the space and the agency handled um the agency kindly handled like getting everything shipped over there so when you like take samples into paris you have to get it declared um luckily because they were doing it they they were able to do the whole process yeah, yeah. drove it in a white van alongside um the other brands that were showing in the space and yeah we uh we when we posted our the, that we were doing a paris showroom uh we got one appointment from us because we don't have an audience that expects us to be able to retail but mm -hmm. what happens is, is that when the other brands have appointments, the, the people that come through end up looking at everyone else anyway. Sure. And we got a lot of attention through that, which was a great one. And we've, we've had a lot of exposure and a lot of positive feedback from a lot of retailers that we were actually trying to target. Um, and also impossible objects because they have a reputation separately as an agency they would also get appointments so like if possible objects get an appointment that means that those retailers are coming to just see like what's new and what's going on um, sure. so like what was one appointment for us directly ended up being like at least like 10 a day uh which is great oh wow okay yeah yeah nice. yeah but it's like this you know like this, some will be like shit some will be quick some will be like an extensive conversation for 20 minutes um you know, and I think like we've already we've got back to about fifteen retailers, um, and hoping that they make an order. 
Um, but we're not trying to get loads of stock lists. We're trying to just open up like one or two accounts this collection just to, sure. you know, walk before you run. There's no rush. Uh, to... So would you say it's, it's still too early to tell or do you think it was, would you would you say class is successful? No, it, I, well, I kind of, it, it was, it's unconditionally successful in my opinion because it shows that pe- people were taking us more seriously. Not to say that people weren't not to say that people care but we definitely felt an energy that we haven't felt before um like we had so many people come through to see us like and not necessarily not necessarily people that were biased but we it just showed like out of everyone like we actually have an audience you know yeah. um like oh, like oh, i heard there was a show is it called to come see the collection it would just be like some younger like some peers that me and nose already know to people like other creatives that we are connected with like globally speaking that we were able to meet for the first time um like for example i met a guy called island who i've been speaking to for two years and he's from japan never met and he finally he's like an amazing sound designer and like we finally like met in person it was really nice and like having a show was such a great place to just kind of like bring people together you know and um Mm. yeah that was a very like beautiful experience to have and for that reason uh it was an un- unconditional success well congratulations man thank you it'd be great to obviously like the aim is to get a retailer and i i think we will i'm not gonna say who but like we've got mm-hmm. potentially who we wanted um and we're very like grateful for it but yeah we just got i i will believe it and announce it when it happens <laughs> yeah no of course i mean i i i I've always been in that mindset too in terms of wholesale um right from the get-go it was always um something that i've wanted to pursue and when so <laughs> bear in mind like this is my I, i'll tell you a story now my very bootleggy way of trying to um get stocked because i've sure. been sending emails on line sheets to loads of retailers i was interested in obviously no emails back i think i got one back saying we're not interested which you know i was, I was just happy to get an email back but I was doing a, a pop-up in Shoreditch and yeah. I had my, all my products with me. And I like, again, it's one of those things where in person, the quality is just, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's beautiful quality, the stuff that I've been able yeah. to make. So I took uh, some of my favorite pieces, went into a Selfridges in Oxford Street and nice. just literally went and found the, the manager and asked if I could speak to him about uh, how I go about stocking products. And at first he was a bit like, hmm, okay. But we've got a few members of staff down and I, ha- I think there was like four of us going through my products that I brought with me, all of them saying how much they really liked them or this sort of stuff. And at first I was like, again, it was the validation that I'd been sort of craving that got me a bit For overexcited sure. about it. Um, but then they stayed in contact. Um, two, they sent two people to come to the pop-up uh, a couple of days later to come and actually see the products in person and speak to me and all this sort of stuff. And it was looking super positive, like, um i had the contacts of i think two buyers at selfridges and then you know it was i was getting super gassed thinking i was going to be like part of their sort of mayfly brand section for at least you know a season or two um but it just kind of went cold but so i started this this really dumb campaign like i think this was like last last year like last summer where i was doing a thing where like if people sent it like went to selfridges and recorded themselves asking to stock river god um, they'd get a free t-shirt if they posted it on their socials. So I had about 30 people going in and doing that and asking uh, the staff there if they could stock Rivergod, like as in like pretending to be a customer to try and get them to just listen to me. Um, but then I ended up giving away too many t-shirts and nothing happened. So that was just a complete like, yeah, complete 
like i don't know waste of time but no, it's not it's not it's not a waste of time man like it's the the experience is valuable whether it's a, a positive or negative one uh nonetheless and you'll be surprised that like, people don't forget you know it's just um i think we're in a time where fashion is one so accessible to do now mm -hmm. it's like the soundcloud era of fashion oh yeah easy <laughs> but but also the budgets have went down for the retailers so it's like the the the, the amount of people that are going to approach them have went up but then the amount of people that they can take in have gone down and they're like completely uh in a battle with each other so it's a it's a strange one and like i think something that i've seen on my side was and you know like i w i did start this in lockdown like i was a you know a lockdown mm. startup um but I've had the idea, I'm 26, I had the idea from when I was 20. Um, mm -hmm. But I just kind of sat back and was like, I'm going to pursue, I'm just going to like pursue other people's dreams before I pursue my own. Uh, and like learn to trade a bit more, which I'm very fucking glad I did or else mm -hmm. I would have screwed from day one. Um, you know, you got to, people want to see who's serious and like who's actually there to stay and... Um, I know a lot of people that started projects of not even just fashion, but of any like kind. And well, where are they now today? You know, mm. um, it's a game of persistence and people want to see that, you know, like people ain't going to be like, so like even I as a, if I was Selfridges or a retailer, like I wouldn't take on the brand that's six months old because they might not even know how to like handle business properly or no of course like i didn't i wasn't offended at all by yeah the no, fact I, was, that I, I wasn't saying that to you directly just more as like an in general mm. thing um but never be disheartened by it like you you'll get to where you want and it just takes i was just gassed to be just have the attention of them in the first place and have them even send people to my pop-up and like For sure all that kind of stuff like be, i was 19 at the time and I was thinking, this is just absurd. Because Selfridge has always been a massive influence for me. I used to go when I was like 14, 15, just to see all the installations Sick. in there, like get inspiration. And the fact that they were even listening to me when I was 19, it was just like, holy shit, like, you know, maybe I'm doing something right. Um, no, you are. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, that's something I'll, I'll go down to like again in the future. I quite enjoy the sort of personal aspect of D2C anyway. Like, like that's something that I, like, I feel like it's a lot easier to build that personal relationship with my customers and with with my sort of following is the DTC side of it. But yeah, obviously scaling uh, wholesale is something that I'll focus on again when I've got a bit more kind of background to what I'm doing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I understand. Okay, let's talk more directly about, about the brand now, like what, what you've done with it. What's your favorite piece that you've made so far? Uh, sure. Um, that's, that's out and you're allowed to talk about. <laughs> No, no, no. I can talk about all of it. I'm not, I said, mate, no one cares. Like, I, uh, no, it's not that. It, I, I don't okay. leave, I'm not that kind of guy. Like, <laughs> get, bro, okay. leak any, leak all of it. I shouldn't, <laughs> like, it's only going to benefit me at the end of the day. Cool. Um, oh, man, like, I, do you know what? Like, I'm going to, it's going to be an unconventional one, but I, the, the, the thing that I'm most proud of is, uh, two things and they're both not clothes. They're actually print material. Um, okay. So like one of them, I'm what both of them. But for me, the the, the most uh, proud one of the. I was going to ask about this. Yeah, is this and like the reason is is because all the clothes are in it. So it's not that I'm dismissing the clothes. It's just that I don't <laughs> want to choose what my favorite one is. Sure. Um, actually, I could tell you my favorite garb, but I'll go into this. Like for me, this is important because, I guess, like on a personal note, uh, I'm a print man. Like I know paper better than I know fabric, um, which is starting to change, which is good. Um, <laughs> 
but for me, like the the important thing about this lookbook was this the the narrative around it, and that we're not even like using models; like we're using friends that we believe have an interesting story to tell, and that we're using Eliza as a, a foundation for someone's individuality, mm. uh, and we like show that in such a balanced manner you know like when people say like showcase your individuality like you think of like the loudest person in the room it's like no it's not about that and like not everyone wants to be that person you know like i'm quite a uniform person my um my assistant nashmia who is like one of the models in this you know she she doesn't want to be that person either you know like she has really strong beliefs in like christianity for example like she lives mm -hmm. by that and she has a lot of she has a strong moral um you know like she has a she has a strong belief system out of religion that she lives by you know and for me like culture and society should also champion that as well as the the louder the provocative there's a space for both and Agreed. um i what we did what we did was and i'll just i'll just show you an example of one right now so this is one of my friends niran and uh mm -hmm. niran is a amazing designer that um does did a lot of like pattern cutting and stuff at uh levi's and he i we we asked each person like where where in your life have you felt most free and we asked them to submit an image and so what we did was is that we ended up printing it like it was a uh like a corridor in your house or a gallery like interpret that as you will and then they would model in front of that you know so it's like live your truth on your chest about the scrutiny of others judging you um and and you know we had like very we had eight very different uh opinions eight very different ideas of what freedom was and i thought that was like a very like beautiful and yet meaningful thing meaningful thing to put across and the thing that i liked about doing a newspaper was the idea that like newspapers are so temporary you know you, you get the metro in in the underground you read it mm. you feel it aside where we're like flipping this, where it's, you know, it's something to keep it, something that will age over time and hopefully have like more meaning as time goes on. And even like subtle nuances, like we, we individually like spray painted each one, you know, that's like that, it's, it's that subtle way of expressing like your individuality, you know, mm. like this is you putting yourself on top of us, which is like what we're trying to attempt to provide, you know, within like a, a reasonable sense of control. Um, and it was just a very i don't know i look i look at this and i'm very proud of it from a from a sense that at the start this is what i wanted to achieve and as like the brand is growing um we're able to express that more and more as the time goes on no, i loved it i loved the series you did there a version here like we use like a binder this is actually just a receipt printer you know oh yeah and, you know like each of the looks at the front and then having the text that you know that's actually the old version uh but yeah we've got we've got you know like it's those little things like using restriction to build a brand identity is something that like f i'm from like i've always had to uh use what i have um like i shoot all our videos on a camcorder that costs like 70 pound on P pc world <laughs> um but it's not for like the aesthetical gain it's just because once upon a time that's all what i could do and mm -hmm. I want to show people that, like, that's all you need to be able to do, like, great things if you just, like, take a lot of care for it. And, yeah, it's, yeah, that is something I'm deeply proud of, I, I'd say. Um, yeah, I love that series. I like, that was one of the things where, like, I think it was when I was scrolling through that, I was like, 
it inspired me a lot. It made me start thinking about where I felt most free and all this kind of stuff. And anyone that's listening or watching, definitely check it out on his, on his socials. It's really interesting. Thank little, you. Almost like case study. But well, that, I found well, it really what, interesting. That's what we refer to them. We, like, we don't say season one. or like, we, we used to say season one, but then we were like, what does season mean to us? Like season's mm-hmm. temporary where like case study makes it feel, and it is more like research. And research always leads on to something bigger, which is permanent. Like research is always valuable because you re- re- you realize something, and that always has like a permanent effect on like the individual. Um, and so, I guess like the fun thing with fashion is that it personifies the research. Mm-hmm. And the reason we're even talking right now is because you're interested in it. But fashion is also a tangible medium that people can like grasp on, whereas. I could just do a research paper and publish it, but then it probably wouldn't get the attention that I believe it should get because I mm. believe it holds a lot of value. But well, it gives people a way of expressing that themselves too. Like wearing, you know, your, your symbols that you use as part of the brand and some of the outfits, especially in that in that in that sort of mini lookbook series, like it's, it gives people a way to also express that same belief system, which I think is a really important part that a lot of people overlook that the sort of power of like, you know, when people are wearing a garment, they're not just wearing it because it looks good. They're wearing it because it expresses a part of their personality. Yeah, but it's like, but that's my thing though, is that it can go even more beyond the means of expressing itself. It can okay. just be like in the set. Well, like I, look, I'm agnostic personally. Um, mm-hmm. Like I come from a Christian family, but I've been exposed to like a lot of re- religion in my time due to being from London past relationships and so forth um and you know you look you look at religion and like sometimes things aren't worn to be expressed because it it expresses something but it just it represents something and representation doesn't always relate to expression you know um sometimes it could be it could be you know like a practical reason sometimes it could mean because this represents this so i guess like in I, I don't I'm paraphrasing but in like Christianity like in the Bible it mentions about you know wearing garments that only use like one fabric of mm-hmm. any sort and so like okay you you implant that rule into like making collection that means okay you look at like Kanye West like doing he I forget what season it was but he made like a puffer coat but it was only made out of muslin including the um padding inside of mm-hmm. it. it was made out of the same sheep from his like farm in Wyoming and you know those those like rules from beliefs create a very interesting outcome in the modern world you know mm. and that for me is uh, way more interesting than expressing yourself yeah no that's that, yeah, that's fascinating that's a really interesting point actually I'd not really considered before I'll tell you a point I, I'll tell you I, I've never I've never said I don't know why I've never said this out loud before but it was something that always stuck with me um so I guess like my process in designing, and this for me is important because I always get people coming to me asking about creative blocks and stuff. And I'll be honest, I never have a creative block ever. But the re by did, but I I think like my strong point as a creative is that I'm a system maker. Like I know how to build systems. Um, like even the process of de- designing a collection, I don't find particularly difficult. But it's because. I learned the system and the system works and so on. But okay, like when, when we talk about creative systems, I kind of go off a term called cathartic originality and cathartic originality is the idea that 
you build something based off of your experiences. And so I ironically came across this uh, phrase by just going on like a Wikipedia dive. And I think I read like Adele's Wikipedia. <laughs> like for example, like, no, but it's, it's so fire because, you know, like Adele's greatest album is post her divorce. Do you know what I mean? And so what what's interesting about that is that she's lived something and she's been able to use that to create something extremely powerful and authentic. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of a lot of creatives, especially in the visual visual world, feel like their experiences don't warrant a outcome that is deemed to be like important or you are like no one's gonna care. But it's like mm -hmm. it's like it's it's a weird thing. It's like there's a cultural in the Western world in particular. There's like a, a cultural imposter syndrome that goes along, as if like the things that you went through don't matter and don't mean anything to anyone. Now, in my opinion, yes, that is partially true, but the fact that no one cares means there should be more of a reason to put it out because there's actually like there's not what's the worst that can happen if you do. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll, I will personally go through some of the pieces to explain to you where these come from and i can the the autonomy collection is the probably the strongest body of work i've done in terms of what it's about and where i've got all these resources from so i'm going to tell you one of them which is uh i'll tell you two of them because they're both okay, cool. cool so this is my friend isaac he's an absolutely amazing artist and painter um so on the on the hoodie graphic there's two symbols and on the kangaroo pocket it says pleasure and purpose now, I had an experience last year, this time last year, where uh, my friends, so even though I'm in like the fashion world, I'm not like, I, I wouldn't say a lot of my social group, but actually in that, I like to kind of have a variety of people, um, you know, mm. I don't like to be in an echo chamber. And after, when you graduate from uni, like you stay with your close friends, and then when everyone like moves in the same area, you start like meeting extensions of extensions of friends. And there was a time where it was my friend's 26th birthday and we all he decided to like hire this like boat in um hackney in hackney marshes and when i say a boat i don't mean like a bougie like it's not a bougie it's like a little <laughs> long boat that you just hand drinks on right yeah yeah, yeah. and in that night like if the, the funniest thing about us a lot as people is that you can really tell who the hedonists are and who aren't and i'm i don't drink a lot i've never taken drugs I'm accidentally had an edible once or twice and <laughs> it fucks me for three days. But like in essence, I don't, I, I don't, I don't like wait. I don't wake up trying to chase a high. Like I, I really believe in uh, a sense of purpose. And even sure. though like running the lies is difficult alongside everything else, um, it, it gives me like meaning to go on, which is, you know, I'm very grateful for. Um, and yeah, like people there, there was like two, there was like a, a couple, a, a, two of my friends who were together who were having like a fucking domestic in front of everyone and just being annoyed. Like it was just, it wasn't nice and like they were both yeah, in the course. wrong. And then a friend of mine K-holed and threw up on my shoe, which was <laughs> another friend of mine uh, tried to jump on this small boat thinking he was the, the, the shit. And then he ended up falling into the marshes. <laughs> and stunk so bad for the whole night and we got like it was just it was just like chaos and yeah. three of us there was like three of it was like three in the morning and it was three of us standing out there being like that was too much now from that i was like thinking about it and i was like oh man like that's such a you know like okay there's people who live for pleasure and people who live for purpose so mm -hmm. uh i was 
I kind of like wrote, I, I write a lot. So I, I wrote down this like analogy and then when I was like looking, I always look for like graphs and diagrams and I, so I came across these scientific diagrams, th these two here. Mm -hmm. And it was a scientific diagram that exp explains that to every positive interior, there's a negative exterior and to every negative interior is a positive exterior. Now, the way I flipped it was, well, this surely represents pleasure because the people that live for purpose feel a lot of internal fulfillment, but from the outside, it doesn't look like a very appealing lifestyle mm -hmm. to some sense. Like we'll, 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 talk, we'll talk this from like the perception of like how we see things on social media. Whereas this one represents pleasure because on the outside, you look like you're fucking living the greatest life going on, whether it's like material things or like you're on holiday, but maybe like internally, it's because you're absolutely lost. Um, yeah so no that's fascinating man that's... yeah so the so the thing is with those two things is that that neither's right or wrong and the, the, the a big thing uh, a big thing about elijah is that i don't like to showcase my personal opinion too much i like to just show things objectively and then you guys mm -hmm. make a decision on it so um we yeah that kind of accumulated into what was that that double zip hoodie um which is from a very unintellectual experience you know that <laughs> that's from like a real a real world thing that happened which you know going back to like originality thing is exactly what it's about i guess like the only thing that makes it uh particular to myself is that i have a style uh and so i guess that's what fabricates the the cathartic originality you know um mm -hmm. and 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 i and i and i think it's a very like sustainable way of designing things um like the next collection we're doing or capsule, we're kind of debating what to do next. But I'd really like the the fact that the word utopia originates from the words nowhere. Um, so when people talk about like utopia, well, it is it, it's nowhere. Like it doesn't represent yeah. anything. Like it doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah. So like the, the the pursuit of utopia should never really be a thing because it doesn't actually uh, exist anyway. Um, mm. But yeah, it was an interesting thought. But you know, like the, the, all these things come from like conversations through life experiences. And you know, if when you realize that you can take inspiration from the most mundane things, you could really do anything at any given point, um, which I think is like a really beautiful way. And I just wish that like people would embrace that more. And I guess that's something that I want to encourage, which I believe is very unique to my practice. And I don't think many designers do practice it. Um, no, I'm going to, I'm going to look more into that. I think that's, that's a really interesting perspective because a lot, I mean, I would say like my approach has always been kind of looking at experience too. Like my first collection about identity that came from the perspective of me struggling with my own self-identity at the time. And also looking at when I used to publish my designs when I was like 15, like okay. people, it wasn't direct experiences, but people would always say, oh, you've got no identity to your brand. So I thought, fuck this. Like in terms of my design style, it was very, it was very original. So I thought, fuck this, I'm going to just do a collection called Identity about expressing identity in, and find my own way to do that. And it was really popular when it came out. So that's kind of how I hope with that. But I think, yeah, I think... You see that, that it doesn't matter whether it's popular or not. It's about whether... Yes, it's true. Whatever, it's whether or not, like, you should design for yourself before you design for others. Which mm -hmm. doesn't sound... And it's actually something I saw Rick Rubin say, and it's, like, really true because... If it's not authentic to you, then how can you expect it to be authentic to the the audience? This is the exact predicament I'm in at the moment, as I was saying. Like, yeah, the hiatus sure. is so I can get back in tune with designing what I want to make and yeah, for what sure. suits me and my vision, not me trying to keep up this front of 
a consistency when I don't believe in that. Yeah, so it's hard. Much. It's hard to be consistent in something that you don't believe in. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. if you believe in something and if you live it, it's it's naturally inherent to be consistent. But consistency doesn't mean do the same thing because I'm not who I was when I was 20 years old. And the things that I used to design then is not what I design now, but that is mm-hmm. like natural evolution anyway, which like a brand should go through, mm-hmm. I believe, to be a successful brand. Uh, and, and also that's important as a creative director. And I think, not to go off on a tangent, but I think there's a problem in the design world at the minute where it like being insular is extremely glamorized. So the whole, you know, like nonstop grinds, like, Mm. fucking sleep for four hours a day and all this shit and it's like cool that is one way of being successful is by having a mad work ethic which is cool but are you efficient which is a big part like i i would say i'm ridiculously efficient that i get paid to do work because i'm quicker than anyone mm-hmm. um but it's, i can do people's jobs in half the time so i but so do i need to end up working as much as I'm, not really but a lot mm-hmm. of in, uh, design is about, the, like the origins of design is about solving problems. You know, that's a responsibility a designer shouldn't take. But how can you know what the world, like what needs solving if you don't live in the world? You don't know what the world needs to solve if you don't experience the world. And like experiencing the world is putting your phone down, putting your, your, your iPad down and make going out with your friends, reading mm-hmm. the, like going on holiday, um like just just living you know like mundane things like it's important that designers go through that any creator should go through it because that is actually the place where you can obtain so much experience from and i i don't think i would be able to design if i didn't do that you know yeah that's literally uh, like yesterday evening i got back but that's i went to berlin this last weekend purely for that purpose just because i've always thought the city seemed really cool i've always been really into street art like my dad has always been big into graffiti so growing up i was always around that kind of stuff yeah and i just thought you know what like i've been in this bubble finishing off uni doing all my exams i needed to go to a place to just experience and see new shit with like again i had no 5g because i'm not trying to pay the post-Brexit roaming charges on my phone. So I was just walking around, just seeing the art, the architecture, um, the fashion scene there, the club scene there, just seeing all the crazy sort of... And it was... I feel really refreshed, like really ready to just start putting pen to paper again with some like a fresh perspective. I was only there for like five days. But enough of that was just so different to just scrolling through Pinterest or, you know, going looking at Instagram aesthetic pages. Well, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Like the and and I I see a lot of projects of any sort that are very directly inspired by mood boards, like in fashion. At the, I see a lot of like younger people, like the whole like Y two K aesthetic is back, and mm. there's a lot of young brands that are all starting out with like the same kind of mood board as such. And it's it's don't get me wrong, like short term, I'm sure it'll be successful, but it's not sustainable and you're probably going to fucking close it within a couple of years because the trend will go by, you will be put behind and it won't be interesting, you know, mm-hmm. not for just yourself, but for the, the consumer, um, which is strange. But I guess like that, that's, it's, it's the problem right now is like people see the, the success of others, but don't really understand like what it takes and how long it has taken in order for it to, to really work, you know? Um, mm-hmm. 
like Cole Buxton took a long time, but I think Cole Buxton was founded in 2015. It was 14, I think. But then when Johnny Wilson, who like, who runs it with him, he joined yeah. five years ago. And like, you know, you know, in total, that's 10 years to, to get mm -hmm. to that point. And like 10 years is an extremely long time. Like, I remember what I was doing 10 years ago and I was playing <laughs> FIFA with my boys and that was it. Yeah. Like, it's, a, it's a, it, it, like it was a completely different time. And um, I think especially when you've got new ideas or a new way of seeing things, like a, a big challenge that I have, and I'm not going to sit here saying I, I, I sell loads and loads. Like it, it's, I sell, I sell out, but I don't make a lot of units of stuff because mm -hmm. it's expensive to do and it's taking time. But I, I deliberately undermine what I, what my, my audience wants because that is the point. Um, that's how you sustainably run the mm. business. Um, yeah, like, but rev, like, you know, it's a, it's a classic thing. Like revolution's exhausting. Like when you come out with new ideas, like you can't expect people to immediately grasp onto them and people grasp onto them when you're consistent and you don't go away. And mm -hmm. that is pretty much my intention. Like I, I, I'll sit here and I might not be in retail for two years. I know I will be, but like, if there's always a chance it won't, and if it of won't, course. I'm still going because the belief is stronger than the brand itself. Because, and then it's like, if it's not going to be for a brand, it's going to be through something else. Like my ethos is synonymous through my whole practice. Uh, even from, like, I remember I did a, a campaign for the Design Museum in London and I beat five agencies in my bedroom by <laughs> by rolling paint on shoes and then slamming <laughs> them on the floor. But the whole idea was about, it wasn't about, I made a campaign that was built around not the shoes, but human beings' impact on trainers. You know, like I say mm -hmm. trainers great. The reason these sneakers are in this exhibition is because we value it because we say it's important so if we're the ones that have the power we should be celebrating the people as well as the sneakers and that was the whole creative direction around it which kind of like is very similar to eliza in the sense that it focuses around in individualism as a whole and community you know it's a duality you can't talk about individualism without community and the same way around yeah, i really like that but yeah all right so obviously uh, it's always kind of a big buzzword, but also something that's very important in the industry is sustainability. Cool. And, you know, something that I find really interesting that, that you do is kind of that personal sort of, you know, the Ikea effect, you know, of like uh, in, in, in psychology, when you're making something yourself, you bestow more value to it. Yeah. Um, and therefore, you know, like to keep it for longer, not want to replace it. So talk to us about kind of like, how much do you consider perceived value of a product in sustainability? Uh, it's everything because if you don't have a, a healthy perception of products, then how can a product like ever be sustainable, you know? Um, but that's more like a consumer form of sustainability rather than producers form of sustainability. Like you can make, you can make a 100% recycled t-shirt, but if your consumer ends up chucking it away in the bin then it doesn't really matter do you know what i'm saying so mm -hmm. there has to be like a yeah sustainability is multifaceted in its meaning for both the consumer and the producers whether it's a brand a factory and so on and so forth um yeah how where what part of it would you like me to elaborate on <laughs> yeah so talk i'd say like um consumer engagement in the sense of like you know like the co-creation of the value of them having to do 
you know, maybe dying or, you know, of their own, uh, of the t-shirts and stuff. Okay, yeah. So I, I guess like my thing, um, again, it goes back to my whole belief around like individualism. Um, you know, I see in a lot of like consumerism in general that people like choose to, you know, the basic human need is a sense of belonging, right? And so mm-hmm. if you see your favorite artist wear your favorite hoodie in that hoodie, in that colorway, you're going to want that colorway. Like, it's just a natural thing. Um, but I think we're in a time where, like, people should embrace what what is right for them more than what is right for the tribe, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, for me, a, a true community is one that embraces the individuals that's within it. And they don't necessarily have to wear the same clothes, be interested in the same music. Or, you know, I can... Mm-hmm. You know where I'm going out with it. It's like, you don't have to be in the same room to be in the same community and not get along with each other you know mm-hmm. i see i do part personal point of view is i see things very synonymous and all one in some way um maybe that's idealistic to say but that's how i feel towards it um and yeah like, i just look back at my own experience with like consuming and i've always i i, I just look back and think I could have always like just done it myself but like what stopped me from doing it you know mm-hmm. am I afraid am I afraid to stick out of the crowd am I afraid to take ownership of my preference um do I have to wait for a brand to tell me when it when it's ready for me to then like have ownership of it and yeah like I just it, it was just a test really uh, to see if that stuff would work like a bigger. Uh, something that i a big thing that i really loved about working at a cold wall is how we would always embellish things in a very diy manner mm-hmm. which is very reflective of like my interest before i was even there which was like the use of spray paint crink markers uh dyeing methods you know like even just things like dying a pair of socks that would mm-hmm. be white and then all of a sudden they're now like tie-dye or teal or whatnot and it's like great you you give them all of a sudden a new lease of life and that's interesting and i all of a sudden start wearing it more um so and like with that personalization not comes like you know like the shelf life of the product's going longer you also just hold it dearer because you are the only one that has that and for that reason it's special you know because that represents you and nobody else um and i think that's a very like beautiful thing that you know, on my side, if we're going to talk about why not many people do it, it's probably because it's not the most, like, profitable thing to do. Like, it doesn't... Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, yeah, like, most of our sales have come from it. Like, no, mm-hmm. not at all, but it's something that's in- incredibly important to us, and it has to be there um, in order to convey the beliefs that we have, and it's something that's going to continue growing, you know? Um, and, like, we want to provide, again, like, to... The, the newspaper is providing a foundation for people's individuality and there's so many formats that that can be expressed in and the best like in from like the clothing standpoint i just love the idea of like giving people these like all white pieces like i always remember when i was younger I used to get these like crayola painted they're like these these little like toys but they would be all white and then it's your role to paint them into like whatever color you want yeah, i love that shit I love that. I always love that. And I want to do that with the format of the clothes that I make, you know. And well, that's, yeah, that's one of the things that I was really drawn to when I first saw you doing it. Cause like, 
recently, yeah, as we said, like sustainability, I, I, I feel like a lot of people look at it purely from uh, the producer side, like what material should I use? You know, which supplier should I use? But we, we can go into that as well. Because I've got a lot to say about that. Yeah, of course. I, I'm. I, yeah, I'd love to get into that uh, too. But this is something that I've been personally really interested in recently: is the consumer's creation of sustainability too. If like in terms of psychological, um, and you know, a way that I've I've tried to do that is having the hoodies with patches, like switchable patches on them, so people can have their own sure. way of you know their own sort of combination, that kind of thing. But that's a lot. You know, that's still they're still quite rigid, but. But it's great though. That's actually just a, sorry to know, but that is actually how I first found out about you. You know, like when you messaged me, mm. I was shocked because I was like, yeah, I've seen your videos for like quite a while. Oh, that's crazy. That's kind of crazy. But it's like, <laughs> it's imp- but like, that's impressive because like what you're doing is instead of like someone having, you know, like ten hoodies in like this in like the same wardrobe, like you've reduced it to one, but you still offer them like a a tiny bit of difference, mm-hmm. which can you know like interchange like as the days go on or the weeks go on which is you know important to have like uh it, like diversity doesn't have to happen in like volume it can happen as like a nuance you know um and it's something that like even you know that like, i'm definitely going to take inspiration from that at some point um it's it's great and like, i encourage people to do that kind of stuff it's great well, it was kind of like post-covid i had a feeling that like that was going to be a big sort of push for you know, people wanting to be individual, but still kind of the economic fallout. People aren't going to be too, like, I don't know, ready to throw, like, really crazy big, you know, like, like fashion being loud again. Because it becomes so, like, athleisure-based, so, like, sweats at home kind of thing. I just thought maybe I can kind of try and take that kind of minimalism, you know, as, like, Cole Buxton was getting massive, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. take my version of, like, a blank hoodie, because everyone was doing a blank at the time, their own, like, you know, essentials. And I thought, you know, how can I make this so it's got a bit of a way of showing like some individualism, um, but also keep, you know, like the sustainability aspect of, you know, lower, lower sort of fabric usage. But that's what I mean. That was an idea I had a long time ago that I still, yeah. I still keep up today. But essentially, yeah, like that's why I was so drawn to the those T-shirts with you're doing the content of you dyeing them different colors and stuff like that, because, you know, everyone's got like an old T-shirt or an old hoodie that they keep just because it's it's like really you know sentimental to them and i feel like there's definitely room and space for clothing brands and designers to kind of create products that intentionally you know have that sort of sentimental value in them which i think is the most sustainable like the most is the best way of being sustainable yeah because it doesn't take any resource it's all done in the head so it doesn't consume any resource. It doesn't take any resource to make. Um, and I think that's something that I'm definitely looking to explore more as when I come back to product releases is how can I create a product that is designed to become not just sentimentally, like sentimental value because it's like a cool graphic or because it resonates with them, but something further. That, yeah. Like the co-creation of value between producer and consumer, I think is something that hasn't been explored enough in the current scene. Like... You know, brands do pop-ups where you can customize pieces. Like I saw Carl Buxton do one a while ago without screen printing different things. But um, with their customers, they could, they could choose like a graphic to go on a, on a t-shirt. But I feel that's something that if people are listening. If I keep this part in the podcast, please have a think on because I'd be really interested to see kind of just some new ideas in that, in that space. But in terms of, right, so that's the consumer side. But in terms of the producer sides, what sort of, for you, 
what are your views well, on that? Well, it's, 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 a, it's a weird thing to touch on because really like the most sustainable thing you could do is to not do it at all. Um, exactly. That's what I say to people all the time. So, so it's like, the mo- if, if yeah, like the, I, I've seen, uh, I'm not going to target cold butt because I, I, I know that thing and it was great, but it's like, if we really put thing, if we really want to be blunt on behalf of all of us as creatives, it's like, if we really want to be sustainable, if I really wanted to be sustainable, uh, I shouldn't create clothes at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, and that, that is the way it is, it's a harsh rally. It's not popular, but it's, you know, you know, I am here consuming yarns of fabric, producing mm-hmm. stuff in the hope that people are interested and it resonates with them. But like, there is a reality of it, which like creative seems to deny and like creative seems to deny a sense of responsibility for what yeah. they do. Um, and yeah, I think. So like the point that I wanted, there's two points I wanted to touch base on. So I think like the most sustainable thing that a producer could do is evolve the relationship that their consumer could have with their clothes. So yeah, we, we, we've been talking about personalization and like prolonging the product due to that. That's one way. But then like, if you take it like deeper, can you make a, a product sustainable, mentally speaking, without even like changing the products and like my belief is that you can do that you know so it's like uh it's like maybe you know in the future like uh, someone's parent passing away and then passing down like a watch that they had you know Mm -hmm. it's not just a watch it's something that represents something Mm -hmm. it's something that's very personal to you and i believe that brands can achieve that same sense of sentimental value but if brands focus on what their belief system is so because if if you if you actually really showcase your belief system yeah you're gonna get backlash for some people like i have some point of views that aren't popular but i believe are right and we all do yeah exactly yeah we all do and that's gonna resonate to a member of an like my audience and because they're wearing something now, not just because it's comfortable or it's good quality, but because it represents something that they believe in. Mm-hmm. It's actually harder for them to consume elsewhere because it might not match their belief. So therefore, they're going to wear it longer. They're going to wear it more. And they might actually come back to you, you know, formal. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I get quite a, I have quite a healthy number of like comeback, like people coming back to me, but. It's so it's so funny. Like the quality of my hoodies are good to the point where people have been still wearing it. Like I, I know people that still wear like the first round of ones that I made, and mm. I see them wear it all the time. And it's like it's great. And like I ask them for feedback on it, and it's like it's it's like I'll I'll the fabric that we use is like leather in the sense that like it it kind of breaks down and just gets better the more you wear it and. Mm you know that that's great but then when it comes to like the message you know like we'll go into like the symbol like the symbol for me was like the the flag of humanity you know that's that's you looking at yourself in the mirror um embracing that you are an individual but we're all the same when it comes to it um and that was like something that i kind of briefed myself was like is there a flag that represents us as people and there wasn't and so for me that's why like the hoodie the hoodie which is you know, like our most popular piece is like, that's why it all is it all it needs to be. It says mm-hmm. everything I need it to say because that logo has so much power in the message. 
And so if it has so much power in the message, it's going to resonate with someone. And if it resonates with someone, they're going to wear it more like it's a, a badge of their favorite football team, you know? Mm -hmm. And that that is important. It's integral. And so like if you if you mix like, okay, responsibly produced products with meaning behind the products, with good quality products, you are going to increase the longevity of the product for the consumer. And if you communicate all these things, the consumer are going to change their mentality towards your products, which result into the consumer taking responsibility more with their products. Um, and and that, that, like, I, I, I would say like I have that personal relationship with like, Izumiyaki. Like, I love Izumiyaki. It's mm. one of the only brands out of my own that I wear, but, and I don't actually buy it that often. It's because the stuff uh, goes on a long time. I love the fact that the brand was born out of predominantly Hiroshima, which was, mm. you know, in its worst time ever. Yeah. Like historically speaking, when you like read about whether it's like the Holocaust, the Hiroshima or Nagasaki bombings, like people that go through absolute shit always end up having some form of hope for the future if they come out of it alive. And it's amazing. Like there's a statistic, there's a, a, a thing that I watched where uh, most people that, so a lot, a, a big statistic of people that survived the Holocaust ended up like like young people ended up pursuing careers that were aimed around helping people mm -hmm. that is beautiful you know mm. and that is the result of a hard experience that someone goes through and there's a as, as horrible as you know all like as horrible as it is when people go through terrible things like great things can happen from it and mm. it's a really powerful thing that you can share with people and you know i guess like on my side um i've been through you know, like things in my life, which has resulted into me wanting to put out like a message that's like, you know, powerful, um, which has helped me. And if it helps me, I believe it can help others. Okay, could, could I ask a question like on a more, on a personal level, kind of based off these things? Just yeah, like, sure. of, like, this is like a selfish question that I'm well, looking cool. for an answer towards. So, as you said, like looping back, um, not not to like skip over what we just said. I think that's a brilliant bit. That I'm definitely going to be leaving in. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. But how how like for you? Because I'm currently in the process myself now. Like now that I'm going kind of through this rebrand, and I I'm sort of I've got the values that I really want to express through the brand, which aren't crazily dissimilar to what you're doing, but it, yeah. it's very much its own thing. Uh, and I, I I think I've found a space in the market that I'd like to operate in. Sure. The bit that I'm struggling with now is is logo design. It's something that I've never been that. I've always loved logos. Okay. I've never, I've never been that good at encapsulating a complete idea or belief system in an icon. I can okay. tell a story in a big, you know, big graphic, big piece of artwork. But when it comes down to iconography, if you've got any sort of pointers that, yeah, like, I, when I, you're I, logo design, yeah, yeah, bro, because because I'd say that's my strong point. Like I'm not. Uh, mm -hmm. When it comes to like the other way around, I actually find it quite difficult because that's not like my relationship with design. Like my relationship mm. with design's always been about like communicating something. So yeah, I kind of use fashion as like a, a vessel to communicate versus like a vessel to express myself, you know? Mm. Um, so I will, I'll tell you how I've done it. And then I will tell you, like, I'll give you examples of like stuff in the world that I got taught mm. and then the term that I, I learned. So, okay. Gonna go to here. I've got like a wall with all, all this stuff. So uh, I'll tell you where, like, I, I told you where the. I'll explain where both my logos came from. Cool. And I'll tell you. So, like, here's my thing, right? I don't. I'm a communication designer. Aesthetic comes second. 
I kind of see communication as like a set of rules that dictate what it's going to look like aesthetically. So I can give you an example of, uh, and it's, it's funny, like not everyone, like even my own team sometimes understand it. But for example, I, when I like posted the image of the newspapers, um, like it's, it's simple things like this, but for example, the backdrop is the car is a carpet. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of people will go and search for the perfect backdrop where for me, I'm like, well, my floor is this carpet. <laughs> so yeah. that, that represents where I, at this point in time, it represents the location, you know, there's a documentary thing to that. So me that is what it has to be i don't have a choice in that so yeah we'll we'll go down to that that's an example right mm -hmm. next example is how i designed this logo so this the eliza logo was the first thing i designed i designed it in april 2020 it took me about like two months just like sitting on it and thinking about it you know mm -hmm. i'm not gonna sit and be like i was on it every day like it's not that deep like i i i'm not gonna sit here and over value design um but Eliza was a computer built in the 60s um, by a man called Joseph Weizenbauer, who was one of the professors at the MIT. And Eliza is what inspired Alexa and Siri today. You know, it was effectively a chatbot, but it was a chatbot on a very old ass computer. And uh, the computer would talk back to you into the forms of a question. So if you were like, oh, I'm feeling really good today, the computer would reply back saying, why are you feeling good? And mm -hmm. then imagine like going down and down along this little line of questioning and you, you end up like start getting a bit more like intimate with it, with your, your stuff, you know, because the computer doesn't understand what you're saying, but it's mm -hmm. like, it's just helping you guide yourself with your own thoughts. So there's the things that me and you will not ever say to each other because naturally people are insecure and we're always slightly in the fear of judgment of some sort. Fashion's the most mm -hmm. judgmental industry, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So, but the computer kind of abolishes that idea because the computer is objective and it's programmed. And so the, the, the computer acted as a mirror to the individual that tested it, which was the secretary. And the secretary told everyone in the testing room to leave after three exchanges. Now, the reason that's important is because, again, like I said, like she wasn't afraid of judgment from the computer, but she was afraid of everyone else. So she told everyone to leave because she wanted to dive in further with her thoughts and how she was feeling that was fascinating because it showed that she was willing to share intimate details to the computer but she wasn't willing to share it with others and now this does go back to this and i'm, I'm gonna it will make sense at the end but what she what it showed was uh in an age of individualism what makes people feel secure is having themselves reflected back to them like a mirror and mm -hmm. so the computer was the mirror now, that was a part of my dissertation. The, uh, the, a part, Eliza is documented in a film called Hypernormalization by a journalist called Adam Curtis, who worked at the BBC. It's absolutely incredible. I'd recommend it to anyone. Like I've, I have literally phrased that word to word, to the, you know, <laughs> for the documentary, but it's important. Like it's, a, it's super fascinating. And I, that was a strong part of my dissertation. My dissertation was about can individualism exist in a neoliberal society and mm -hmm. you know i guess this is a continuation of my dissertation because i'm actually interested in that mm -hmm. um, so yeah this is where the breakdown comes from so okay cool that's what you're interested in whereas this is what i want to study my brand on now how do i then come up with a brand guideline of it so 
I kind of look at it as like a breakdown. So I want to express the computer. I want to express that the conversation's never ending and it's back and forth. So I I actually had a gar our first garment label was designed like origami, and as I pull this, shit, I'm gonna fall off. It, it would fold together. So like on the edge of the neckline, this would be what was be on the forefront and it'd be top stitched up here. And so when you break down the two A's uh, represent reflection because it's symmetrical. Then the L in the middle of Eliza is the individual, which is also like a slight reference to the Bauhaus logo because of like where I come from as a designer. And then Eliza is the name of the computer. And then A is about objectivity, you know, like fig A, fig B. And then A to Z is about there being no corners unturned. Like it's about uh, not cutting corners, it's about being extremely thorough, you know? And so all those like things that I want to articulate can be articulated through one logo, you know? <laughs> that's fucking, that's fucking um, sick, man. Yeah. So, that's and, and really then like, cool. like originally, originally this um, logo was designed in Helvetica, but I chose to like rework it and I made a custom typeface that was rounded because there was no start nor end to the conversation. Like, it's not definitive. It's actually, like, everything I'm doing is just about figuring it out. But it's what I'm using. I'm using fashion as a way to showcase my research. But it doesn't mean the research has a conclusion, you know? Like, not every... It's really bad. Like, in, in, this, in a dissertation sense, it's really bad to have an opinion and try and search for the answer. It's best to have something you're interested in would be really open to what the answers could be and that's kind of like a result of like where this came from you know and so the mixture of that and then the symbol which is based on two things it's based on the vitruvian man by da vinci yeah. um because but the reason it's more the reason why like the reason why is because da vinci is considered the most talented person who's ever lived invented a helicopter this that the other you know, crazy painter, well, you name it. He's like just a genius. And he probably died not feeling like he did enough. But he represents human potential and what I believe is like the meaning of life, which is us being the best version of ourselves. So that could be being a success in your career. It could be being a great parent, a great friend. You know, like whatever it is, like we all aspire to be the best version of that thing that mm -hmm. we want, you know? Um, so, okay, cool. That's paying homage to like what the meaning of life is. So the Vinci is that person. And then the second reference is the toilet symbol because me and you could speak a completely different language, but yet we know what bathroom to go in. And that's yeah. super strong. And that represents the world that we live in now. And the world that we live in now is an extremely complicated place, but we have these symbols around us in society that help us guide through it. And as something that's you know, being fortunate to travel the past few years, they really do help you, man. Um, yeah. They really help you and you can't survive without them. And so that is what accumulated the, you know, my system is referencing the mundane, which is the new and then the classic, which is the old. So it's like, it's a, it's a really weird mix, which I'm like showing um, my graphics as well. So yeah, that's what accumulated the, that's my system. That's the way I like break things down to, come up with mm. ideas um so going back to now where did i like learn some of these things from um there is a term in graphics that you get taught called semiotics and semiotics is about having like a signifier and a signified uh so a really great example is the mcdonald's logo so like the mcdonald's logo is is the m which um 
comes from the original restaurant, which at the two ends of the restaurant had these two golden arches that went across. Now, when you see like the colored yellow and red, you think about the ideas of like being hungry. Uh, the two, when you see an M, you think of like, mm, you think of McDonald's, you know, you think of fast food. But like before that, if there was like an M about in society, you there, there would actually be like no meaning to it. But what happened was, was that McDonald's were able to take control over what it meant. And so therefore we all culturally understand what it means in the same way that like, the Rolex logo has the crown. They use like the yellow and green colorway. So whenever you see like a combination of those things in, in culture, you think of luxury, you think of watches, mm -hmm. you think of the brand, you think of like soft velvet case with a golden interior. You know, it's the idea that we have the power to reappropriate logos and symbols to mean something else that they may have not originally intended to. You know, like a really, a really great example that's non-brand related is the use of the the, the swastika, where mm. the the swastika was originally a peace symbol in a I, I don't I, I don't want to say it wrong, but in like another religion, uh, yeah, yeah, which then gets reappropriated to be one of the most fucking racist symbols of all time. Yeah, <laughs> now, but that's like the power. But you know, that's a, an example of the power we have to control the narrative of like symbols. So, uh, symbols don't have to literally show something but you have the power to give it reason meaning so uh you'll be the first to see this but we have this symbol here mm -hmm. we've been um fine like which we're, we're going to start like rolling out which is actually like an e-comics exclusive um but that symbol comes from a, a book that i have and it was designed in the 80s for a japanese expedition but now i'm referring to it as like the sundial symbol because it, it's like a big fascination of mine is bringing like the outdoor the out the outdoor experience indoors. There's something about the outdoors which is very humanizing and deintellectualizes everything, which is like really nice and um, quite liberating. So I'm putting that meaning onto that symbol, and that's the power. Really strong brand communication is like knowing that you can change the meaning of something, and that a symbol of any kind can turn into something else. You know, so. Yeah, that yeah, that's really interesting, actually. Like, just to sort of loop back, like, in terms, of, like, obviously, I've not put anything out that I've been working on yet, but I'm happy to talk about it because it's such an open process. It'll be so different by the time I come to it. But what I've been trying to do is kind of I, I, that's so that's given me a whole new path to look down now because I've been trying to reference images that already have meaning. Yeah, and part of that I was referencing like the old like brightness buttons and the old like. Um, like like on buttons of old like like Max from like the the nineties and the and the, the noughties and stuff like that because I wanted to build a logo that's also can be used kinetically yeah that wasn't just a static something that could be like you know different elements could be taken from it and used in different mediums um, but I think yeah that's a really interesting why do you want to do that though why connect like... I'm not entirely sure it's just I I feel like when I started. Um, the brand, the only logo I was using was just this, just on my notebook, just like the, just the TM logo, yeah, just basic, yeah. you know, just simple. And I felt so constrained when I was designing a piece, like a logo based piece that it just, it was just so rigid and, and lifeless. Yeah. That I want to try and incorporate something with more sort of movement into it now. Yeah. I, I, I hear the only thing that I would say to that though is, is that connect like, 
and I, I, I've, I'm, I'm, I've like said this before to like people mm -hmm. when they like come up with ideas is that uh, for, for the sake of conversation, Connect Type is not an idea. That's a facility to to put your idea in. And so if you, so like when I was in, when I was in university, like doing um, like graphic design, like sometimes, so sometimes you would have people be like, oh, I really want to do like a, 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 my final major project is going to be like about typefaces or it's going to be about directing but they're like they're just they're just homes for your ideas to go in and sometimes it's like mm. it, it restricts you from the idea sense which is actually again like from what we were talking about earlier is where people come into creative blocks because sometimes your ideas and your true intention and your authentic self doesn't facilitate right in these certain places so my question to you is it doesn't actually does it have to be connected type is that I think that's the second thing you should be thinking about. Yeah, that's very that's a very good point. The idea. So like let's say you had an experience and you wanted to let okay, you're gonna talk about you you graduating, getting a two on, and now you're in a, a time in your life where you might be slightly uncertain and you're on your own. You know, it's something that collectively mm. everyone experiences after uni. That is an idea that you could showcase as a graphic on a garment. Now you then decide what the format is and you explore it, you know? So it could be kinetic type. Mm -hmm. It could be an image. It could be, you know, not even the, related to the clothes, but the way that you shoot it. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there are so many ways that you can facilitate ideas. You just got to be the person that keeps the doors open, you know, instead mm -hmm. of like deliberately shutting doors based on you know the fact that like you haven't actually got not saying this is the case but like some people don't actually have ideas but they just choose facilities without real reason you know um oh no i've got a lot of ideas in my yeah. it's the thing is i don't want to be i don't want to don't want talk about out. them on my podcast just yeah yeah because it's still it's, it's still i'm still at the process now where i've got it's it's still very conceptual and there's not really anything that i like i haven't found a great way of kind of I don't know, translating the kind of broader concepts I want to hit, if you know what sure. I, mean. I mean. it just takes... I'm going to be completely honest. I've got no... I've never had any education in art, graphic design or anything. I'm completely sort of self-taught in this field. So my articulation and sort of... What do you have a degree? Where, now, a uh, bit of business management with entrepreneurship. Wait, there's an art in that, man. Like, I'm not going to lie. No, I, don't get me wrong. Like, I love it. But like, I was all, I always kind of thought like, when I started, I thought creativity was something that was more innate um, and that I could find my own, you know, passion for that. Because I've always been, always been drawing as a kid, always been graphic designing, just watching like tutorials on that. Yeah. And I thought I'd need the business side um, to be able to, you know, commercialize um, what I'm doing. But I feel like that's meant that like, as I've got older, I've, I, I do struggle to articulate um, a lot of what I want to achieve artistically because I just don't know what it's called or how about how you go about doing it so that's kind of my my mission now i i, I can i can relate to that because i would say that i did go through this but the real healer of it all is like time because you have i think when you when you graduate you have this real you know like the world just feels like this real open place where anything can happen and that can be quite overwhelming and you could think about a hundred thousand things going on at the same time. But over time you start like refining and you start putting your thoughts together, which then like results into you actually understanding what it is that it is that you want to do and what you want to achieve and what you believe in. And 
I think that is the hard when it's the hardest thing to do in anything. Like even I, I have that frustration with. You know, when is this actually going to be like global? When is this going to yeah, like? Yeah, is this yeah. going to ever happen? But I, the, but the only the only real answer to that is time will tell, and the only thing that I can support that answer is by putting my head down, cracking on with the work, um, in the hope that that can happen. But there's no guarantee. There isn't. But you've got to just be a piece of that. Oh no! Like that's my as I've always said to people, like the risk and the, the uncertainty is my favorite part of this whole thing. It's what keeps me going. It's what keeps me. Yeah, for sure. If, if I knew, this is why I don't really want to go into traditional employment because the sort of security I find really boring, and it, it, I find it really demotivating. Like I, I really enjoy the fact that my actions and my thoughts are what dictates where I go, kind of thing. So, yeah, same. Mm. I I can relate to that. Like I don't have much savings. I don't really care about getting a house. Like though, it's not a. It's not my lifestyle and uh, I live one life. Like, why am I going to sit here, like, already thinking about my, exactly. my pension and retirement plans when yeah. I'm like, you know? Um, but the hoping is that that will pay off if this becomes successful, you know? So. No, but I'm sure, man, I'm sure it will. Like, your perspectives and your attitude and the sort of way you're, it's just, it's very refreshing. Because the UK scene right now, especially because no, I've always been more into, um, the American and European scenes for fashion. It's only more recently that I've, with like the rise of like brands like a Cold Wall and, and Cole Buxton and what you're doing, that I've really started to get more into UK based brands. Because um, a lot of it now, yeah. it does get disheartened seeing how much money some of these brands are making that literally just, you know, don't, they're just designing purely just not to tell a story, not to communicate like a belief set, but just try and make the trendiest shit possible. A result of what I'm doing is because I saw one as a gap, but two, I thought things ain't running correctly. And so I want to see if I can do it what I perceive to be the right way. But you can't have right without wrong. You know, again, like the whole duality thing, yeah. yin yang, kind of chaos of our order. That same analogy happens with your ambitions and like what it is that you want to achieve. Like for every, you know, in the same way that people get pissed off with me doing things properly, I get pissed off with people that don't do things correctly, you know? Um, and that there's, that's always going to be there. That's never going to change. And so it's more of a reason to appreciate it than get frustrated by no, it. I mean, yeah, um, no, I, I completely agree. It does make a lot of sense what you're saying there. Um, like, even like my perspective on things, I mean, I'm only 21 now, but even I look back to when I started it, I'm just, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even enjoy a conversation with the person I was when I started it. I just find them just so insufferable sure. <laughs> and just annoying. But right, in terms of just in, just like conscious of time, um, like in terms of advice for creatives that are looking to sort of get their work out there, or you know, sort of find the confidence to put out their own work. What advice would you give as someone who's done a lot of that? Okay, so one, no one cares, and so. Which is like, I believe, you know, like a hard reality because you want people to care, but you got to go, it, it depends on the way that you look at it. So the fact that no one cares is the reason that there is absolutely no harm in you putting the work out. And you should, yeah, you should, you live one life. Like this, you know, there, there are so many bigger things going on in the world that like, if you have the privilege of being able to create and put stuff out, um, 
you should do it and just embrace it and live the luxury of being a creative, you know? It's one of the biggest beauties of existence is being able to have your perception of the world put onto paper or onto something and putting it out, you know? There will be someone there that cares. It just takes time to get people to care. And is that even the goal in the first place? Mm. You know, um, you've got to like avoid the numerics and avoid like what's popular. You know, I'm a massive fan of like philosophy and I look at um, like stoic philosophy and like there's a quote in a book where the thing, which, which it was one I'll, I, I forget the philosopher, but it was like, there's a time where like what pop, what is popular mm -hmm. isn't always right. And so if you if you believe in something so hard and you think it's right, you can't expect it to become popular because it might not be, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's wrong. You know, Andrew Tate's popular doesn't mean fucking right. <laughs> yeah. Amen. So, so do you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. So I can, I, I it's important that it's, it's just like important. Like you're not, what you're doing is great. And like we we're in a, we're, if you're in a privileged place to pursue creativity, there's absolutely nothing to lose. So just let go of the what ifs and buts and just do it, you know? Um, secondly, I think everyone should work for someone else or get experience with someone else before they pursue their own dream. Um, there are examples of people out there that have done, have not done that, but they are an exception to the norm and they are not like uh, they're outliers to like the rule. And I believe the rule is, is that you should work under people, uh, get experience in the field that you're interested in, in order to actually see if mm -hmm. you're interested in it and to obtain skills, contacts, connections, which will actually support you and accelerate the rate of growth and success that you want in your career, mm -hmm. you know? But also creative, another thing, like I guess my third piece of advice is, is be really honest with yourself. Are you being a creative to pursue success or are you a creative to express yourself? And if you're not getting success through the mediums of expressing yourself, well, you're not being honest with yourself. You gotta be, you're, you're, the reason of creating it is about doing what you believe is right and you should have put all your values on the response that you get once upon a time pablo picasso was one of the most hated artists in the world because of his painting which depicted five prostitutes in a really you know what was perceived then as mm. quite a ghastly manner but now we like see him as the most successful artist that ever lived i've i've always asked this question since i was 16 and i don't know where i got it from but I always ask if you if you knew in your life that you would be a failure in your work, but then the moment you died you would become a, an immediate success. Would you still pursue art? And to the people that hesitate answering that, you should have been honest. That's a really interesting point. And I know that I I know I know that it's I know for me when I've asked myself that question, if all my work was a failure, mm. I'd still do it because. I love doing it and it fulfills a hole in my life that um, money can't, success can't. And so I'm an artist and a creative unconditionally. Mm -hmm. So be honest with yourself of why you're doing it. That, and that is a really hard confession to help. But yeah, I think what, if you're honest with yourself, you're always going to end up being mm -hmm. a lot happier. 
No, I think that's a really good piece of advice. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask just one more question now because otherwise this podcasting is way too long. Well, okay, all right. So in terms of, because a lot of people will be tuning in for this kind of just like directness. Um, in terms of the business side sure. of things and sort of growing and communicating as a, as a brand, as a business rather than necessarily as a creative entity, what um, pieces of advice would you give from experiences that you've had running a company? trademark see if you can trademark your name before you uh call it something um or else you will end up getting fined a lot of fucking money and you'll regret it so look at your trademark before you decide and lock in on the name super important i've luckily not made that mistake because in graphic design you get taught about this stuff um but i know someone that ended up having to shelve like fifteen thousand pounds to you know compensate the trademark dispute and to also rebrand oh, everything so the deeper you get more expensive it becomes to get yeah. yourself out of it um a massive a thing that i'm learning like it's it's, it's funny because i'm giving advice but i also need to like give this to myself um when you're doing a limited company you need to withdraw your relationship with money in the same way that you have a personal way so having £10,000 in your personal account is not the same as having £10,000 in your business account. They 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 are valued differently and your relationship with them should be different. So, you know, uh, when you're in a company, learn about debt, learn about how you can leverage debt, learn about business loans because one thing you need to understand about that stuff is that the, re- the way these companies grow in the world is actually by getting into debt because... If, if like worst case scenario, like let's say Eliza went bankrupt, uh, the, the limited is important because it means that I'm not personally liable for the repercussions of the company. So I would never, I wouldn't owe the banks anything mm-hmm. that the brand was. And so that would be any of the brand assets. Um, so it's important to like understand that. Oh no, I, I'm so guilty of this man. Like, like I've, I, I'm, I took out, quite a large loan when I started as well uh when I was 18 which I do regret now purely because like I it was yeah this is why I regret it um because I hadn't incorporated the company yet I I was only using my my earnings from my freelance to sort of as a a guarantor to to be like and I've never I've never had any issues with the payment but it's like I spaffed away all that cash doing stuff that through naivety thinking I have you know again in terms of relationship with money like I didn't I didn't just spend it like at the pub but I spent it on like I was quite trigger happy with it in terms of marketing and 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 certain yeah sure avenues that I shouldn't have put money into but because it was there I just I did anyway and that's led me now in a position where you know I've had to learn a lot more about finance and and company finance and obviously a big part of my degree my best ever grade I got um at university was accountancy um and which you know is talks about finance you know company financing and all this kind of yeah. kind of stuff and it's it's something that a lot you know it's a, for startups it's kind of the most important thing is keeping that cash flow yeah you live and you learn mate like it's this way i like i like on my side um i've personally never been in debt uh, I've never taken out a business loan like Eliza's 100% mm-hmm. independent. Um, I started the brand off with £2,000, which 
was accumulating savings from my mm. freelance work which like was going extremely well at the time um so yeah like a big part of it is cash flow and you know i i i would take a business loan if i got um wholesale because i would basically like with wholesale mm-hmm. as payment terms and like if um retailers ended up putting in like a an order um orders like have a minimum so i think like the minimum in my showroom was like maybe i think like five thousand mm-hmm. pounds an order um so i'd have to front half of it and like imagine there's like five retailers then that's what 30k so it's bad maths um 25k um i don't have that money and so yeah so i don't ever be have to go to the bank like... um it's a bit it's, yeah it's a good loan because then the the bank knows that there's a guarantee mm-hmm. return on it but you just that you know you got to do things like profit and loss sheets and you know all that shit like which i'm still getting around to doing just because uh i don't have time um but i need to put more time into it but yeah those things are important cool. um yeah. what would you say is the biggest uh biggest lesson you've learned as a like since starting your own well yeah since doing doing your own brand yeah what's okay been the biggest lesson or biggest learning curve the biggest learning curve is that it takes more than working hard to build a successful mm-hmm. company <laughs> uh like a big like i'm i got taught in a very particular way which i'm grateful for but it's not for everyone and um it, there's more than one ways to do it and sometimes that wouldn't that way of learning wouldn't translate well into other people and so you kind of have to treat people differently in order to get the work out and so a big part of having a company like that because like now there's four of us and like there's freelancers beyond that um yeah you've got to just like people management is extremely important and uh but it doesn't mean to be a people pleaser it's like because i i don't i'm not gonna lie like out of me and no sir i'm definitely bad cold um <laughs> in situ in so many situations that we've had like i'm always the one that comes out the villain but it's fine like it's just i'm quite i'm just passionate do you know what i'm saying i don't i know like people fucking out with me at all um but yeah like you know yeah people management's important it's it's because because you could be the the greatest of what you do but there are also people that are equally as great so like how if they're if you've got two people that are equally as talented like how do you select one of them and it's going to be down to like who they are mm. as people and or right, anyway yeah like i mean i don't i don't even know how much of that's going to be left in Pro- hopefully as much as i can possibly fit in but that was honestly on a personal level, super fascinated, man. I feel quite energized and inspired after this for my, for my own stuff as well. And I hope that, and I, and I imagine so many people listening have also been uh, you know, as inspired in this too. Um, obviously, um, people are gonna wanna check out what you're doing. Where's the best places to find uh, what you're up to? Uh, best place well if you're on tiktok like we recently started it um but we kind of treat our tiktok like a burner page so it's not like the most aesthetically there but we show mm-hmm. transparency in our process like we we aim to show truth um but our main page is on instagram just at eliza um we also have a page called eliza truth so if you're like into like how we do things behind the scenes and if you want to see things early like we have that and then my personal is uh jack harper with four underscores at the end of it well thank you very much man it's been uh it's been a pleasure no i appreciate it man like you inspire me as well so i just keep doing your shit i'm looking forward to seeing it